This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Humphrey. Now, if you're living in Britain, well, we all feel sorry for you because there's a remarkable outbreak of industrial unrest, quite unprecedented, I would have thought. It's a new, as they say, winter of discontent. There was a winter of discontent, which delivered in the end Margaret Thatcher to the British people, but it was a very long time ago. And I'm looking now at the list of people on strike or about to be. There is nurses strike, which has been talked a lot about, well workers are striking, the postal workers, ambulance workers, airport staff, border force agents who do passport checks, highway workers, the Eurostar staff, civil servants, bus drivers, firefighters, charity workers, meteorologists, and offshore workers. It's an extraordinary list. And we're joined now from London by Chris Johns. Chris, Usually, London is a wonderful place to be, but this is an extraordinary outbreak of industrial unrest that has been triggered, I suppose, by this Tory government. Yeah, it's certainly the biggest in the last number of decades. In terms of days lost to strikes, it's not as big as the 1970s, so it's not as deep, if you like. But the breadth, the list of people either on strike or about to go on strike that you read out there, pretty comprehensive. Did you manage to get driving instructors or uh, no, driving I inspectors? Didn't. Yeah, yeah. No. The people who do driving tests um, are going on strike, apparently. So the list is even longer than you suggested. Um, so, the, so the breadth of it, I think, is unprecedented. And it reflects a number of things. Of course, the first instance is the cost of living crisis. And people want to maintain their real wages. That's very understandable, very normal. Um, the, the, the second aspect to this is the way in which, in particular, I think that health workers pay, their real pay has been eroded, not just by the health crisis, but in really the last decade of austerity, um, yes. their real wages have been held back. And that's a particular example of a more general point, which is that if you are in the bottom half, I'm not talking about the bottom 1% or the bottom 10%, the bottom half of the UK in income distribution you're doing very badly relative to the top half, by definition, relative to your yes. equivalents in other European countries. 
And this has been building year after year after year. It's not just the cost of living crisis, or of course, that's a large part of it. It's the growing inequality in the UK that if you are in that bottom half, you have been increasingly in recent years, year by year, struggling. And I think it's coming to a head um, and in ways that the, the government really doesn't know how to handle. And you can see that in their hapless handling of this in yes. which they say, we're not going to negotiate with the strikers. And then they do negotiate with the strikers, that they meet the strikers or the threatened strikers, and then they're very rude to them. There doesn't seem to be a coherent strategy or co coherent policy, which I think is a more general point that one might ask about Rishi Sunak generally. What, what is his strategy? And we're struggling to discern it generally, not least in respect to these strikes. But they, they've got a real problem. Um, particularly when it comes to healthcare workers, because I think so many people here feel so sympathetic for them. There yes. was a cartoon in the Times, I think it was either yesterday or today, in which they just, the cartoonist described the clapping for nurses during the pandemic, and that the nurses are now clapped out in all senses <laughs> of the term. Yes, yeah. And I mean, people won't be able to travel. It's impossible to go abroad if your passport isn't checked, or to come home, indeed. If there's no one to check your passport, they're training up soldiers to do some of that work. But really, the highway workers are now going to go on strike, which means the roads will be worse than they usually are. Postal workers, ambulance workers. The National Health Service seems to be in a very bad place, Chris. I mean, the ambulances are arriving and having to queue, get in a queue with patients in the back for hours. Yeah, it's not an exaggeration to say that people are no, dying. People are dying in the back of ambulances that shouldn't be. I mean, that, that, that's the brutal truth. And nurses are being offered 4% in a country where in October, inflation reached the 41-year high of 11%. And of course, nurses, as you say, they were clapped during the pandemic and they are fantastic people, I think, wherever they are. This is like a government going to war on its people. It's almost a general strike situation, isn't it, Chris? When you think of all the key staff. Yeah, well, it looks like a public sector strike because, yes. um, again, I'm not sure whether there, there's another class of worker. Civil servants generally are muttering about going on strike. So when you add that to the list of, of the others that you mentioned, it looks like a public sector. And that's where the biggest wage squeeze has been in recent years. So if you if you start the inflation crisis, which is now um, well over a year old, um, in, a, in a bad position that your incomes have been eroded through austerity rather than inflation since 2010, um, and then you get this inflation, it, it's a real, uh, real hit. And as a result, you know, the use of food banks in the UK is at a record high. A lot of people in work now have in work poverty. It's a, it's a horrible expression yes. that we economists use. But normally, you don't associate the word poverty with people in the UK. Um, but now it is used far more frequently than it should. And we're beginning to notice just how many people who are classed as being poor in the way that we economists do that are actually in work. Because so, normally, we would assume that somebody that is poverty stricken through some circumstances or other, that the first thing that they don't yes. have is a wage. Um, there are people with wages who are using food banks, Eamon, and yes. th this should not be happening in an economy such as the UK, one of the richest economies on earth. And uh, it, it's, it's a real problem. I noted in a by-election that was held in Britain that 
the Tories got the lowest vote in history. The margin was incredible. This is a government, it seems, to be waging war on its own people. And as you point out, nurses, you know, would be top of anyone's list. They're caring. They work so hard. They have so much responsibility and you treat them. They've been treated so very badly. Stephen Barkley, I think, is the health secretary. And he met the nurses the other day. And after the meeting, the nurses said he behaved belligerently. Now, that's not the way, is it? There is something indecent, isn't there, about this present Tory government with its kind of right-wing hacks, the worst of them being perhaps Liz Truss, who lasted 44 days. But there are a lot of other heavy-looking dudes. And in the case of Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, a very nasty piece of work who described the people crossing the channel and dying, and four died this week, God rest them, as invaders. There's something bloody nasty about them, isn't there? Well, there, there is that. Um, they are not a nice bunch of people, and they have the characteristics that I think that you, you rightly described there. And let me tell you what I think is really going on with this Conservative government. It, it, you have to really trace it from the Brexit referendum, which is yes. now six and a half years ago. Yes. And that unleashed a war in Britain, yes. um, a culture war, uh, all sorts of different labels could be attached to it. But the one thing the Brexiteers, you can have this argument about whether the Brexit promises were honoured, were not honoured, whether the economy is better off, worse off, all that stuff, park that for a second, nobody, and not a single individual on either side of the debate, certainly not on the Brexit side of the debate, the pro-Brexiteers, promised that what the legacy of Brexit would be would be six and a half years of a country divided within itself. Yes. Six and a half years. That's longer than the Second World War, Eamon. Longer than yes. the First World War. This yes. is the battle that is consuming the ruling party. The governing institutions of the UK have been consumed by these Brexit wars, which are yes. entirely internal. As um, the Peterson Institute for International Economics, very august Washington, D.C. think tank, said that what is happening in the UK is as a result of the UK um, declaring a trade war, trade war, so this is an economics point, a trade war on itself. Yes. And so, yes. Which, which is a wonderful way of thinking. You don't have to be an economist to understand that's not a good idea. That doesn't have many positive outcomes. But it's the non-economic stuff that is as important as the economic stuff. This war that we have been waging with ourselves, culturally, politically, and socially, over Brexit for six and a half years, has had many consequences. But for the government, for the ruling institutions of this state, it means that all of their bandwidth, all of their capacity has been yes. taken up by Brexit. To the point then, when you added the pandemic onto that, they became overwhelmed. So that the governance structures of this country have been overwhelmed. And this is not about doing stuff to make things better, not doing stuff to... Uh, promote economic growth, a la Liz Truss or anybody else that thinks economic growth is a yes. good idea, because it is. It's about business as usual. It's about the boring stuff of day-to-day -day administration of a family, a business, or in this case, the state, just not getting done, because your capacity to manage the day-to-day -day business as usual aspects of daily life, they've been overwhelmed by this stuff. And so when other stuff comes along, you don't know how to deal with it. And it's been going on for so long now that the country 
is visibly fraying at the edges, to put it mildly. Um, one of the jokes that I've heard told is that Britain now feels like a seedy South London pub at closing time, just as the landlord calls last orders. <laughs> I, I used to live in South London. I think I, I was in that pub, Chris. <laughs> there are plenty of them, yes. Yeah. And so when you, when you see it in those terms, that the governance bandwidth of the country has been overwhelmed, consumed initially by Brexit and then overwhelmed by the pandemic, and that business as usual is not getting done. And then if you understand it in those terms, that the capacity constraints have been breached by, in terms of the institutions of the state, you can see why business as usual becomes more and more difficult. So dealing with strikes, for example, there are governance processes, there are pro processes, procedures that you would go through normally dealing with these sorts of things in a calm, yes. reasonable way. They're just not happening. And, so, and the state is flailing around, is failing to be, to be able to deal with this. Because one, one of the institutions that is uh, failing might be put too strong, but the civil service is clearly in disarray. It, 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 it has been neglected, it has been marginalized, it has been attacked in so it's many different ways. On that point, to cover fast on that point, Boris Johnson waited three days before he sacked the senior civil servant in Downing Street. Liz Truss entered Downing Street and on day one sacked the senior civil servant. That's quite extraordinary. Well, it's an example of what I mean, a yeah. particular example about the poor governance. That A normally run, properly run state wouldn't do that. Um, no. This was an act of personal animosity. This was an act of uh, revenge is a best a dish at yes. best eaten cold. Um, and that's not how modern institutions sh should be run. And if they are, if you're, if you're going to run it like a mafia fiefdom, yeah. um, where you know every grudge is personal, and it, it isn't business, it just is personal, then you are going to get the results that you would expect from that. And the results you expect from a system that is overwhelmed, from people settling personal scores, is chaos. Yes. And chaos yes. is what we have. Can you give me a sense, or give our listeners a sense, Chris, of the mood in Britain, because normally when people, public sector people or any public sector people in particular go on strike, there is this dislike of them. They're pilloried in all kinds of ways by newspapers and other outlets. This time it appears to be different. It seems that public opinion, for example, is very much on the side of the nurses. And even I've seen public opinion which is supportive of the rail strikers as well. Is there a different feeling this time than the, the anger you often get, particularly around Christmas time? This is going to destroy people's Christmas. You won't be able to get back into the country or leave it. You won't be able to travel on the railway network because you won't be sure you'll get there or you might not get back. And, in, of course, the roads are going to be blocked because there'd be too much traffic. It sounds like hell, particularly in a country like Britain, where you know traveling up and down the motorways and railways is an essential part of life to see your family. Yeah, the, the situation, I think, is as you describe it. They, the, the strikers do have a lot of sympathy, starting with the nurses, starting with healthcare workers generally, because it's not just the nurses that are on strike. There are other classes there. Um, I think as time goes by, that sympathy is starting to erode as people yeah. are actually, in the ways that you describe, inconvenienced. Uh, if I had to fly into an airport uh, yesterday evening and 
one of the things, many things about this country that people say is that why do, you know what we ask each other why don't why doesn't it work anymore? Um, I arrived in Heathrow, the flagship airport, and um, the pilot announced as we came to a stop just after landing that um, we've nowhere to go because every every gate is full and we've no idea when a, when a gate wow. will be will be and and that and then he went on to say and this is absolutely normal it happens every time we land. Wow. Um, so it wasn't wow. an exception. Then, of course, because there was no train to take me anywhere, um, I had to be picked up. And people either have to get a friend to pick them yes. up or get taxis. And then yeah. the, the roads are complete, uh, late at night, because this plane was very late, yes. are chock-a-block. Because people, um, this is the only way people can travel at the moment. So it, it, in my own personal experience, I think, is um, an example of what people are going to be feeling or are feeling, are experiencing on a day-to-day basis. So I think that we, you know, mentally we have sympathy, but when you're stuck um, yep. because something isn't working because you can't travel, if you're a business now that you're not getting any customers, particularly on, in the entertainment space, because yes. people can't get to where it is that they were previously going to spend money in your pub, restaurant, or club, you, I think your support might start to fray at the edges somewhat from a very practical point of view. But emotionally, we are, I think, very, very connected to particularly the nurses. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Now, just let me ask you about the crypto disaster that has befallen Sam Bankman Freed. He was worth 50 billion a few weeks ago. He's now in custody. <laughs> I don't understand the Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies at all. What happened to Sam? Well, Sam ran a crypto exchange, which, and this is where people start to immediately start to get a bit confused as to why you would need an exchange for something like crypto. It's the same way 
you need a stock exchange to, to be able to, to trade stocks and shares. Yes. Um, uh, the way in which people trade crypto is not exclusively on an exchange, but it helps enormously from a whole range of practical getting things done to actually have an exchange like you need a stock exchange for shares. And the and one of the reasons why it's a good idea to have an exchange is the only other way, if I wanted to buy Bank of Ireland shares, I would go to the Irish Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange, who would then find me somebody to sell the stuff yes. to me. Other, the only other way I could do it would be come to you, game and say, would you sell me, if you've got any Bank of Ireland shares, would you sell them to me to do it on a one-to-one -one basis, which raises all sorts of, ironically, security, collateral, is your money safe? Is the contract, will you honor the contract? If you yeah. go through an exchange, the idea is all of those um, uh, risks that people run if they do just simple bilateral transactions are taken care of by the exchange that they'll always make sure that the people, your counterparty, is straight, is, is creditworthy, and that when you give your money to the exchange, which then passes it on to the person that you've bought the shares from, or in this particular case, crypto from, that uh, everybody honors their, their side of the deal. Um, he took, apparently, allegedly, we must always remember that, it, you know, innocent until proven guilty and all that kind of stuff, but allegedly, if I gave him my money to buy some crypto with, put it either on deposit or gave it to him to pass on to somebody else, he actually then transferred it to his own hedge fund, who then went yeah, off and bought all sorts of dodgy stuff with it. Right, he had a $32 billion crypto empire. That's right. It's worth nothing today. And it's worth nothing today. And he's going to be arrested. He has been arrested, I think. And he's going to be charged with fraud. Eight counts, apparently. Tell me about this cryptocurrency thing. Okay. You gave me a very good education. And our listeners, we talked about it before, Bitcoin. Is it mad? I think so, Eamon. There are plenty of people who do not. There are plenty of people who think, uh, they fall into two types. There are the sort of evangelist uh, people who um, would also tend to be conspiracy theorists, people who don't mm -hmm. like government, people who don't like uh, the feds in the United States. Yes. Um, there are certain personality types like crypto because they believe that uh, the central government is nefarious and will eventually uh, steal all your money through taxes or spending or some other way of um, de defrauding you. And because this crypto is not issued by a government, it's not issued by any one individual, actually, or in the case of Sam Bankman-Fried, it might actually have been <laughs> crypto that was issued by him that, had been, that of course, was, was instantly worthless. Uh, it, it appeals to those sorts of types. It appeals to people who, let me, shall we say, enjoy inhabiting the dark web, so yes. crypto initially was very popular amongst drugs and arm dealers and other people that needed to launder money. And it still is, quite frankly. If you are engaged in crypto trading, you really don't know who is on the other side of this transaction. It could be somebody just like yourself, a clean living, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, somebody that, is, that has never committed a criminal offense in their life, or you could be you know, dealing with a Russian arms dealer. Yes. You just don't know. So there is that type. There is a third class of people who, who are in a very, very tiny minority who can see through all of the smoke and mirrors, through all of the nonsense, through all of the fraud, something that might be real eventually, um, that these digital tokens, the, the, this cryptocurrencies might have a role to play in the monetary system. I'm not one of them. I don't, I've never thought that these things are ever going to be worth anything, but I have to acknowledge that some serious people do think this. 
And I also have to acknowledge there are enough people out there who, for whatever reason, evangelical hatred of, of central government, whether you're a drug dealer or you just like new toys or whatever reason, if there are enough people who think that something is worth something, then it will have a value. That's the nature of these discussions. It gets very psychological, human behavior type stuff. And so if enough people think that crypto is going to be worth something, then it will be worth something. The thing pulls itself up by its own bootstraps. Eventually, right. I think that comes tumbling down because of things like Sam Bankman-Fried. He's not the first person, the first institution to have engaged in dodgy practices here. There have been a series of scandals associated with all sorts of different right. cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and his so company it, was called F FTX. It's, ver it's very tainted now by fraud, by Ponzi schemes. Um, I mean, you know, Bankman-Fried was arrested, I think it was on the, 14, the actual day of the 14th anniversary of the arrest of somebody called Bernie Madoff, which wow. who you may, may have heard of. Yeah, the late Bernie Madoff now. Yeah. Because uh, he wasn't coming out of jail any time. No, he died in jail after an enormous fraud. And, the, and I yes. think it's the SEC, which is the big regulator in the States, yes. described this as the biggest financial fraud in U.S. history. Right. And so it's enormous. How invested in this cryptocurrency business are the Goldman Sachs of this world? And indeed, are there any big... Irish investors who would be ostensibly respectable and middle of the road, have they got involved in cryptocurrency? To varying extents, yes. All the big Wall Street institutions, um, say this time last year, were making all sorts of grandiose plans for getting further involved. They would have dabbled in it. They would have invested a little bit of their own money in it. Um, the big investors that have been hurt by Sam Bankman-Fried are typically the, what we call the venture capital backers, yes. uh, the private equity backers um, who put money into it, who should have, should have known better. Um, and you can be absolutely 100% sure that if there is something that's going up in price a lot, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be um, Apple shares or apples or pebbles on a beach. If the price of it is going up a lot, then some or all Wall Street firms are there, thereabouts involved. It doesn't matter what it is. And when Bitcoin was going up into the $60,000, they were all involved in one way right. or another. But the, the one thing that you can be sure of is that the very smart Wall Street houses, like the J.B. Morgans and the Goldman Sachs of this world, will not be badly burnt by this. Um, right. there will be, it, it, it always, always ends up with the private individual investor who has been scammed by all of this, who is hurt the hardest. So I don't think any of the big institutions are going to be severely damaged by this. The people that who will have lost money, I think at the end of the day, will be the people that bought Bitcoin when it was $64,000 and today it's trading at $17,000. Wow. Okay. Is that a bit like there was tulips? Wasn't there a tulip thing? In there home? was um, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> People believed that tulips were, were valuable things, and because they believed they were valuable things, they bought them, and it became a classic financial frenzy, which has affected so many different things over the years. Yeah. And tulips became very valuable until they didn't. And then there was a, a, a bursting of the tulip bubble, if you like, and they yeah. became almost valueless. The difference between Bitcoin and tulips is that tulips are pretty. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful thought to end our year, Chris, we're going to take a holiday. Well, we've got to deal with the World Cup first, but we're extremely grateful to Chris Johns, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, 
and he is a very respected commentator now, and he's just given me my first laugh of the day. Thank you very much for your contributions all year, Chris, and please, God, you'll have a lovely Christmas, and you'll be able to navigate your way through some nice restaurant or hostelry when you pass through the picket lines. Thanks very much to Chris. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for. Now, we'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.